The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful this morning that you are a a God who has spoken and a God who still speaks to His people. In days long gone, You spoke through Your prophets, communicated Your truth to Your people. And You spoke loudly and clearly through the, the sending of Your Son that His people could hear Him speak and see Him act, that they could hear You speak and see Your actions in living vivid color. You've spoken to us through His substitutional death on a cross on our behalf. You've made clear Your heart of love for Your people. you made clear Your kindness and Your grace toward us. And You've spoken in these last days through Your Word. And you continue to speak through your word. It is the truth. We live in a world that is filled with messages, many of which are not true. Most of which are not true. But your word is truth. You define the truth by what you've said. And we've gathered this morning around your word because it is the truth. And we desire to hear you speak to us. So we're thankful this morning for the opportunity to hear your word taught, to hear your word preached. We're grateful for our pastor who has prepared this week and studied and who's come to speak and have you speak through him. So we pray, Lord, that you'd open our hearts in these moments, that you would give us attention to your word and that you would speak to us. You would take your word and your truth and apply it to our very lives and the circumstances in which we live every day that we might go away from this place and this encounter with you changed. Bless, Lord, the preaching of your word, we pray. For Christ's sake, amen. Amen. Turn your Bibles, please, to 1 Peter 5. Appreciate Pastor Greg praying for the preacher who's prepared this week. This is the last two messages in First Peter this week and next week. <clears throat> and I got to looking at my notes. At the beginning of the, um, uh, at the beginning of preparation for a sermon, I print out the text and then just pray through it and make notes as things come to my mind and, and um, try to make connections and things like that. And I, I thought you might... And enjoy a picture of my notes um, for this, Josh. If you could find that, it, it got pretty hilarious as I got through the week. As it looks like a football play, doesn't it? Like you go this way and turn left, and you go that way, and, and I'll explain more of that later. But um, that's the mess um, that that preparation required. Uh, this week, Peter's hard enough to outline, and I probably didn't do a very good job at it this week. And that's not false humility; that's real humility. So um, um, I'm so proud of my humility. Um, 
But if you are confused at the end of this message, that's why. And it's not me. It's not my fault. Last week we paused from First Peter to hear a word on humility, believe it or not, in marriage, as Tim Bryant preached from Philippians 2. Interesting, we departed from First Peter, but we didn't depart from the theme of humility, which is the theme of this passage today, beginning in verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties. Boy, this is what kicked me all week long, because I struggle with that maybe more than anything. Casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. We had a marriage conference last weekend, and... um, and we we pause and answer questions in the book after the video. And um, you're dealing with your marriage, and your wife's sitting right next to you. And and one of the questions: Why do you have so much trouble getting to something like this? Why do you have so much so much? What are the barriers for getting through resolution to a particular conflict? And I wrote down the barrier was because I'm always right. (laughs) Now, understand, that's the barrier for not resolving the conflict. Judy reached over. You think you're always right. (laughs) Pride. It's pride. It's just simply pride. I'm I'm going to read for you. Spurgeon's first paragraph in a sermon on this text. Some antiquated thoughts and words, but you'll get it. Very first paragraph. Pride is so natural to fallen man that it springs up in his heart like weeds in a watered garden or rushes by a flowing brook. It is an all-pervading sin and smothers all things like dust on the roads or flour in the mill. Its every touch is evil as the breath of the cholera fiend or the blast of the Sahara wind. Pride is as hard to get rid of as charlock weeds from the furrows or the American blight from the apple trees. If killed, it revives. If buried, it bursts the tomb. You may hunt down this fox And think you have destroyed it, and lo, your very exultation is pride. Yay, I killed pride. Oh, that's pride. (laughs) None have more pride than those who dream that they have none. You may labor against, you may labor against vain glory till you conceive that you are humble. And the fond conceit of your humility will prove to be pride in full bloom. It imitates humility full well and is then most truly pride. Pride is a sin with a thousand lives. It seems impossible to kill it. It flourishes on that which should be its poison, glorying in its shame. It is a sin with a thousand shapes, 
By perpetual change, it escapes capture. It seems impossible to hold it. The vapory demon slips from you, only to appear in another form and mock your fruitless pursuit. To die to pride and self, one would need to die himself. Pride was man's first sin, and it will be his last. Now, it probably would have been better just to go ahead and read the rest of the sermon instead of hearing mine. But what an introduction. Likewise, you who are younger be subject to the elders or submit yourself to the elders or humble yourself to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. This issue of humility deals with, and pride being the opposite of that, deals with our church lives, our, our relationships in, in, in our church life. Uh, it deals with our, our behavior or our attitudes. It has to do with our relationship with God. First, our relationships. Two weeks ago, Pastor Greg began preaching um, from the beginning of this chapter on elders. So he deals with elders, fellow elder, witness of the sufferings of Christ, shepherd the flock of God among exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. That's the elder's responsibility. And then as the elders serve... He mentions there, he turns his attention from shepherds to sheep. Good leaders deserve good followers. Those who are led are responsible to be in subjection to to men and to God. And as elders serve the church, elders here in verse 5 are served. Be humble before them. Young people, he's not comparing old people to young people in this sense. The elders here in verse 5 is still talking about the office. That's what he's talked about in the first four verses. It's not like Peter's just saying, hey, young people, respect your elders. That's a good thing to teach young people, but that's not all he's saying here. He's speaking of that office, and he's addressing young believers, men and women, young believers. Subject yourself. Be subject to the, the elders. Not if you like them, be subject to the elders. Not if you agree with them, be subject to the elders. But subject yourself to them. Be humble. Humble yourself to them. Period. And that's hard in today's culture, this culture, the doctrine of personal autonomy. I have a choice all by myself what to do with my body. How many times have you heard, particularly a female, say that? Choice. This doctrine of personal autonomy where pride is lifted up to its very height to where I am so prideful, I can choose whether to kill my own baby. And that's just one example. It's hard for young people, more 
immature believers. He's talking about believers here, younger believers. It's less troublesome for mature believers, particularly if they aren't prideful. He's not just talking about submission to the elders. Ultimately, this is God's word. This is about subjecting yourself to God. Obedience. Elders serve. Younger believers submit. But he's not to lord it over God's church. It's to be an example to the flock. Pastor Greg taught a couple weeks ago. He's to lead and exercise his authority by being an example, not by authoritarian methods or bypassing people or overlooking people. It is this that gives balance to the elders' ministry. You have a responsibility. You're responsible to those people, God's people. Karen Job says, True humility, as opposed to a contrived, self-degrading humiliation, flows from recognizing one's complete dependence on God and is expressed by the acceptance of one's role and position in God's economy. Simply put, believers are to subject themselves to the elder as the parent of the church. The parent who feeds the church the word of God. The parent who willingly provides oversight for the welfare of the church. A great text we look at at a time like this is Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. It's a frightening thing. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Most of you. Allow me to do it with joy. Most of you. Though there is a structure of authority in the church, though, what does he say? Everybody's responsible. You clothe yourselves, all of you, every believer, with humility toward one another. Everyone. From the godly, the most godly elder to that brand new convert, everyone is to be clothed with humility toward one another. And it's shown in our relationships, it's shown in our attitudes. It's an instruction for every Christian. And that word all means all. That's all it means, all. All ages, all sexes, all classes, no person, is, no believer is exempt. All of us are to subject ourselves to each other, to all believers, no matter who we may be, male or female, rich or poor, young and old, black or white, red, yellow, whatever. Put the other believer's needs first. That's humility. That's a lot of people. Also deals with our Attitudes, humility addresses our behavior. 
its actions and its attitudes and its behavior, we could use those words, it's really a heart matter. Those things flow from our heart. It says, clothe yourselves. Humility in terms of putting on a garment. Clothe, clothe yourselves with humility. It's the church's uniform. We should all look alike, right? We should all have the same uniform on. All you believers, clothe yourselves with humility. Put it on. It's an interesting word. I, I, I believe, I may be wrong, I, I believe it's the only time this word is used in the New Testament. But it's used in other places as a slave, servant, putting on an apron, girding himself or herself for work, for service. Some of your translations may say, instead of clothe yourself, gird yourself. Uh, Strong says, this was the white scarf or apron of slaves which was fastened to the belt of a vest and distinguished slaves from free men. So the image here is being humble toward others, serving others. The best biblical example of that is Jesus. The night of the Last Supper, we get to celebrate today. He begins the evening by girding himself or clothing himself, stripping down and clothing himself up like a slave and kneeling down and washing the feet of the disciples. He humbled himself for them, and when he had finished it all, he, he said this, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. The point is, that's what we're supposed to do. We're to have this attitude toward each other. We're to put the other believer first. Paul taught that as well in Philippians 2, a text from last Sunday. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. No one is exempt. Everyone is to respond in this way. And this is Peter, by the way. Peter understands this is a matter of the heart. This is that guy. Back in Matthew 26, again, at the institution of the Lord's Supper, when it was done, Jesus says, when they had, Matthew says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, good old Peter, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. 
pride. It's pride. Not me. I got your back, Jesus. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. That's the same Peter. The same one. Between Matthew 26 and 1 Peter, he'd had a heart change. Martin Luther said, Humility is the noblest and sweetest virtue love brings forth, and it is the most essential to peace and discipline. It's true in the church. Just as a side note, it's the 500th year of the Reformation this year, and so every sermon I will try my best to quote Luther. Here's a good way, and I'm going to get back to my, my notes. Here's a good way for you to look at this passage. Look at, look at your Bible, not my notes. And you'll see how I've connected these, and it'd be good for you as you study further, and I hope you will. He says in the first part of verse 5, Likewise, you, are, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And then at the end of that verse, he says, God opposes the proud. I connected those two. Certainly more people are proud, but don't you find more arrogance in young people who know it all? And then the second part, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. And I connected that with, but gives grace to the humble. And then he defines humility in verse 6. Verse 6, he defines it. He says, humble yourselves. And then skip to verse 7. Actually, he defines it in verse 7. Humble yourselves. Verse 7. Casting all your anxieties on him. That's humility. Throwing all your anxieties on him. Humble yourself. How do you do that? Throwing your anxieties on him. Casting your anxieties on him. That's what all those arrows meant. Then he deals with our relationship. Humility deals with our... Comes from our relationship with God. The reason we're to regard each other with humility, why? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humility is directly related to our relationship with God. And he quotes here, he's quoting Proverbs 3.34, which says, Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The NIV uses, uh, for scorners, he uses, uh, NIV uses proud mockers. Toward the proud mockers, he is scornful. But to the humble, he gives favor. This is evidenced by grace, humility. Charles Simeon said, The cherishing of any feeling contrary to humility will expose us to God's heaviest displeasure. Why would he be opposed to the proud? 
Well, because the proud trust in themselves, don't they? They don't trust in the Lord. The proud seek glory for themselves. They don't seek to glorify God. The proud elevate themselves above others. Don't we? Trample others beneath them. God's opposed to that. But he gives grace. He gives his undeserved. So it's not it's undeserved grace. It's not grace you can earn. It's not, oh, if I could be more humble, I could get more grace, right? How can I figure out ways to be more humble so I could get more grace? It says, gives grace to the humble. He gives his undeserved favor to those who have humility of mind and heart. It's the constant response of God to humility. Constantly gives them grace. And we're humble because God has given us the grace of humility. It's the mystery of it all. We become that way because of God's grace and as we live out humble lives. How we live out humble lives, we live out humble lives by getting on our knees and washing each other's feet. Constant response that God has to humility. And he's always against the proud. And he always blesses the humble. We're to seek to live that way. Augustine said humility is the vessel of all graces. Humility is the vessel of all graces. It's contrary to our nature. Because it takes grace to be humble. Without God's grace, you can't be. But by God's grace, we will be. And we'll be servants to one another. And we'll carry out the responsibilities that God has required for us, that God has given us in service to the church, to other believers. That at least should be our prayer. That we be humble. That we be servants. That we do it with joy. We do it with gratitude to the Lord. Psalmist says in Psalm 18:27, For you save a humble people, but the haughty, meaning the arrogant, the, the proud, the self-important, but the haughty eyes you bring down. It's so unnatural. Like I said, it's not something you can determine you can get get better at. I, I'm going to be more humble today. Humble. Some of you pronounce the H. Some of us don't. So. Sorry if you're confused over that. It's an emptiness. I think it's an emptiness. The more I thought about it, 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 it especially in relation to Philippians 2, we'll look at it in a minute, but I, I, I think humility is an emptiness whereby you rid yourself of yourself so that God might put grace in your life so that you would have the grace to be able to serve others. It's the best I got. It's an emptiness. 
That battle won't go away. Pride's the original sin. Eve. Let me turn to Genesis 3. You don't have to turn there. It's taking me too long. Eve was tempted. When you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now that's pride. You'll be like God. That's why it's such, pride is such a horrendous sin. You're placing yourself not, a, not just above other people. You, you're making yourself God. And guess what back in that story in Genesis? Clothing was the original badge of man's sin and man's shame. Pride caused the need of clothing. And pride still reigns in our dress, how we dress. And we're to clothe ourselves in humility. God provides us the robe of Christ's righteousness in order that we might be stripped of that pride. Spurgeon's second paragraph. In the first sin that man ever committed, there was certainly a large, large mixture of pride, for he imagined that he knew better than his Maker, and even dreamed that his Maker feared that man might grow too great. It has been questioned whether pride was not the sin by which the angels fell when they lost their first estate. I will not go into any controversy upon that subject. But there was certainly pride in the sin of Satan and pride in the sin of Adam. This is the torch which kindled hell and set the world on fire. Pride. It's evidenced by grace, humility. And we live a life of humility under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. It has been translated, allow yourselves to be humbled. That's a good context for what Peter's readers are going through. They're suffering persecution. And he's saying to them, accept the negative circumstances of your life that are bringing you down. They have, they have been brought to you by the sovereign approval of God. You are under his mighty hand, good and bad, negative and positive, whatever your circumstance. And he's saying to these, these elect exiles who are suffering persecution... They're bringing you down, but allow yourselves to be humbled in such a way. In answer 26 of the Heidelberg Catechism, we read, In God I trust and doubt not that even all the troubles which he sends to me in this veil of tears, he will turn to my good. Those who are suffering persecution for Christ's sake could be encouraged by the fact that God's mighty hand was in control of it all. 
the mighty hand that let them suffer one day would what? Lift them up. Exalt them. So that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Charles Simeon again said, We cannot have one spark of real humility till we are abased before God as guilty, helpless, and undone creatures who have no hope but in the tender mercy of God in Christ Jesus. And then Peter refers to Psalm 55:22, Cast all your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. Cast all your anxiety on the Lord. And they are two different words. It means anxiety, that first cares. Cast all your anxieties on him, and he will sustain you. All the believer's anxieties can be cast on him. How about that? You're anxious today? I am. Peter's definition of humility. Christ sustains because he cares for you. He sustains your life because he cares for you. A Christian's confidence rests in the fact that Christ is genuinely concerned for his welfare. And humility means that we don't have to bear our anxieties. We can cast them. We can toss him over to Christ. He's interested in us and willing to carry all our anxieties for us if we're willing to do what he wants us to do. Anxiety. What that means, mermina, is the word. And what it, what it means, it, 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 it's anxiety is out of place in your life. It's divided. It means to divide. Go in different directions. Be distracted. Anxiety divides the attention and it distracts when one doesn't know whether to go this way or to go that way. Anxiety ensues. It's distraction. And it fights. It fights against a calm, a blessed assurance. Jesus is my foretaste of glory divine. I want glory. I want that glory. I want that assurance. Anxiety follows when we forget that God is the one who cares for us. That we're not left to our own. We're under the care of a sovereign God who controls the course of history and intricately involved in our everyday life in detail. Why be anxious? And in due time, he'll exalt us. You may be under his heavy hand now. Suffering, hurting. You may be in a trial. Whatever it is. Under the hand of God who controls all those things as well. The key, of course, is that phrase, in due time. (laughs) The proper time. In God's words, it would be in the right time. God never exalts anyone until they're ready for it. First the cross, then the crown. First the suffering, then the glory. 
One of the evidences of our pride is our impatience with God. And one of the reasons for our suffering is that we might learn it. Patience. Peter heard Jesus say, Luke 14, 11, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. It's simply a matter of entrusting oneself, entrusting one's problems, one's troubles to a sovereign God. We can do this because we have confidence that He cares for our welfare. Humility. Casting our anxiety on Him. It's so very hard to do. Because of how pride just permeates our lives, I want to do it my way. You could sing the thing. I got Frank Sinatra sing the song. I did it my way. No greater song exemplifies human pride than that one. Sorry if I just burst your bubble. Believer, to become the lowest servant of all must be your highest ambition. To become the lowest servant of all must be your highest ambition. Later in Philippians, just a few verses later from what I read earlier, Paul said this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Empty, that's humility. We're we're empty. Emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's our example. Emptied himself, humility. Brothers and sisters, this is the church's uniform. This is what we wear. Clothe yourself with this humility. And we're able to do that because Christ did that. And he not only did that, he did that so that he might go to the cross for us. The ultimate grace for us. Somebody died in our place. And we remember that today. And if you're without Christ today, if you're here, you're without Christ today, Pride rules in your life. Run to Him today. Not only for His glory, but for your ultimate good. In the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for Your Word. For the truth of Your Word. Teach us more and more what this means. It's not. I know it's not an accident that we've talked about humility two weeks in a row. Do your work in our lives. 
do your work in our hearts. So that these truths might be displayed in your church today. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.